Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where things are getting weird. <laughs> uh, at least here in the United States, I think that everywhere else it's getting pretty weird, too. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks. With me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello. This is my only human interaction now. <laughs> And we are definitely more than six feet apart. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We have an entire country. You know, I was actually just like, oh, no, like, we, we've got to be certain. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm talking on Skype to someone. This is not, <laughs> this is not cause for concern. It's a, it's a very weird time right now. Uh, so we hope everyone listening is feeling good and feeling healthy and uh, And that you have ample supplies of toilet paper. Yes, yes, but not too much because some people have gone a little overboard. Also, flour. Uh, my local grocery store was just like decimated. The flour in the cereal aisles were just gone. I was like, guys, I, I'm okay. This is an interesting thing. What people decide to stockpile? Uh, yeah, my uh, store it was Diet Coke. Oh, uh, La Croix was the other thing. Like people were just going crazy on the La Croix. Plenty of bottled water. Yeah, of course. All the La Croix was gone, and I was just like, which I think says something about my neighborhood. I mean, it, it is a very hipster neighborhood. It's like, okay, so we've got flour, uh, cereal, La Croix, <laughs> rice, rice, you know, there's that. And the guy ahead of me yesterday in the grocery was buying, like, seven packages of chicken gizzards, so. Well, you know, sometimes you just need a good gizzard. It's it's an it's an exciting time. So, but we are here, and we appear to be relatively healthy. Knock on wood. How are you doing, Karen? Well, I don't want to freak out, but I actually woke up this morning a little congested. <laughs> <laughs> well, congestion congestion is okay, though. My understanding is that it's dry coughs and fever that are the most concerning. Okay, well, dry cough then. All right, that that makes me feel better because I like I feel it in my lungs, and I was like, crap. <laughs> well take care of yourself yeah. i mean i feel fine and i do not have a fever so but yesterday one of my yeah. one of my student workers came in and uh he was telling me he's like oh yeah he was supposed to go to a conference last week and he's like oh yeah i'm so sorry i forgot to tell you i missed the conference because i ended up being sick and i was just like oh i hope you're okay he goes yeah i just had a really high fever and i was i just like backed away without even thinking about it <laughs> and he's like Whoa. And his, yeah and his eyes just got really big and he's like i didn't even think about it oh no i'm gonna go see if i can get tested i'm like yeah please do <laughs> jesus yeah. yeah every everybody like if you've got a high fever this is that's the one of the big indications of this virus exactly <laughs> like there so, are places you know. like um Someone was telling me, Jazz was telling me that over in the Philippines, there and probably other countries 
in Asia too. Um, I know China was doing this as well. Like they have people at the entrances of malls and stores and even just to get on the bus and they take your temperature. And if you're, you have a fever at all, you do not go through those doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard about, I heard about this. I think that that was one of the, one of the precautions that they were taking in China and, and they think one of the reasons why the infection rate is going down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, take care of yourself. If you have a fever, please like get in contact with your doctor. You know, I know this is a phone podcast, but also guys, we're, we're in a pandemic right now. So let's be safe. Let's take care of each other. Let's like not hoard toilet paper or La Croix. Some people need it. Uh, just don't be stupid. That's the thing. Like, just don't yeah. be dumb. Just listen to good advice from doctors and do, you know, do things that are logical. Wash your fucking hands. I don't know why it takes something like this for people to be like, oh, I should do that thing that I learned to do when I was three years old. <laughs> I mean, I do have to say that here in New York, the subways have never been cleaner. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, we're, it, it is kind of, it is one of those things just like, why were we not doing this before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this know, is somewhat the, worrisome. Yeah. All the companies that are sending out emails now, like, oh, rest assured, we're cleaning everything really well. Like, wait, what were you doing before this happened? <laughs> no, wait, don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> It's just like, I know that a little bit of, of dirt and, and germs and stuff like that is needed. Like, you can't disinfect everything constantly. And in fact, we don't want to because it makes us more susceptible to things. Right. But also, uh, yeah, wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Especially dudes. Apparently dudes are not washing their hands. After Which they go I to suspected I for why. a long time. But now that I have actual confirmation from people I know, it's like, I am social distancing from everyone for the rest of time. <laughs> Just like, yeah, just never wash my hands. Just like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. No, it's so weird that because just a couple weeks ago on the radio show that I listened to in the mornings on my way to work, um, this girl had had sent them like a message because people will do that from time to time. They'll be like, hey, so what do you guys think about this? Or can I get advice about that? And so this girl had sent a message to them and said, you know, I just started dating this guy recently and... We had a fight the other night because he doesn't have any soap in his bathroom. And when I asked him about it, he said he never needs to wash his hands because it helps make him uh, more able to fight off infections and things. And I'm just like, but, okay, first of all, gross. (laughs) Second of all, like, okay, that's fine for you. But why are you assuming no one else ever needs to wash their hands? Like, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) Oh. Why are guys gross? I, I the guys, more that I learn, tweet us. Why are you gross? <laughs> <laughs> why are you doing this? Like, and I've seen, I've seen guys like explaining how they don't need to wash their hands after they go to the bathroom because their dicks aren't. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with their dicks. It's just like I, you. Wait, you like more so than women, definitely, like uh-huh. have to touch your genitals in order to go to the bathroom. Uh-huh. Why would you think that that exempted you from washing your hands? Your I would hope that you would that wash have... your hands more. Yeah, they've been like <laughs> crammed into your like pants. They're all sweaty. Like, ugh. gross. Why are we talking about this? Let's talk about something else. <laughs> 
All right, let's let's talk about it. Let's talk about something else. There are apparently I lied last week. We do care about their dicks. We just want them fucking clean. (laughs) For the good of the rest of us, you know. There are all right. There are definitely things that are going on. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about some good things. We're gonna talk about some slightly not so good things. We're gonna talk about some fun things, uh, and and try to help everybody to kind of chill out and be reminded that the world does continue on, and and we are gonna get through this. Um, so one of the things that got buried in some ways by the the pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> That you know, rightfully so. I think that everyone is more concerned about the about the pandemic than anything else. But um, one of the things that got buried is that Harvey Weinstein is going to go to prison. Woohoo! Uh, yeah. So Harvey Weinstein uh, faced sentencing several days ago in uh, in New York. He arrived at the sentencing in a wheelchair. His um, his defense team has been arguing that you know if he is. If he's sentenced to prison, he's going to die there. Uh, that okay. you know, there there needs to be some sort of mitigation, and the judge gave him twenty three years. So he is going to prison for twenty three years. So there is a very good chance, given his age and his infirmities and everything else, that he will die in prison. Um, and. I, I mean, I think that there's quite a, a high degree of schadenfreude here. Uh, a lot of the women who were present, who were uh, a lot of his accusers who, who uh, testified against him, a lot of the women who were present at the hearing, etc., were, of course, very relieved, very happy. This was saying that, you know, there is justice, that he is going to be punished for what he did. And, and of course, Weinstein himself is very upset, and you know he compared it to the to searching out communists in the 1950s in Hollywood, which is <laughs> fucking insane. Um, and of course, I mean, he's understandably upset. I, I think that anybody who has to go to prison probably for the rest of their life is understandably upset. But um, fuck him. He did it, and he is going to go to prison for it. So how are you feeling about this? this care and this kind of got overshadowed by everything else but it is a good thing i mean the dude is going to prison oh yeah no it it was crazy it was thursday night i was laying in bed and i started thinking i was like holy crap harvey weinstein was sentenced yesterday and so much has happened since then that we all like forgot it feels like it was months ago and so then um yesterday at work i was talking to a couple people and i was telling them that and they were like, wait, that didn't happen months ago? I'm like, no, <laughs> it was this week. <laughs> they really thought like it had been a long time. I was like, nope, it was two days ago now. Um, I kind of love the fact that it he got 23 years and it's been 23 years since he raped Rose McGowan. And I know he's not going to prison specifically for that, but part of the reason he's going to prison is because she never stopped talking about it. And I just, Mm -hmm. I, I just, that, that felt a little bit, um, poetic, (laughs) I think. Um, and this is the thing, like he's still facing charges in LA and those are still going to go forward. So yeah, he's never going to be a free man again, ever. And there's something that just feels so good about that. And so right. And it's, um, yeah, I I just, I mean, I know that this has been a really hard, really t- 
terrifying at times road for everybody who came forward and spoke up. And it's been really interesting seeing those court documents that got unsealed. This That, that was also yeah. this week um, about people that he had uh, threatened, people that he had on a list that he just assumed would be talking to reporters. Some of them have, some of them I apparently haven't, but um, it was just interesting to see some of the names that popped up on that list and and then there's the story about how he apparently, based on something that she says isn't even true, but he apparently had said, made a comment about Jennifer Aniston should be killed because there was a story that was going to go into the Enquirer about stuff he had supposedly mm-hmm. done to her. And it's like, man, we we only know a tiny bit of the monster that he was. And like, I'm fine with him just going to prison and us never speaking of him again. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a good conclusion to all of this. And obviously the the thing is, you know, like I say, there's there's the degree of shade and freight, but no one wants this to happen. No one wants, you know, someone to be a rapist for thirty some years. Right. Uh no one you know, none of these women wanted to go through what they went through. So this this is this isn't revenge, this is justifiable retribution for the things that he did. You know, they're there seems there is no doubt he is a convicted rapist he's going to forever be a convicted rapist he is going to go to prison this is going to be something that will have a lasting legacy and that will hopefully continue to have influence on on the further progression of the Me Too movement and and just on the culture at large of saying that we are going to hold powerful men accountable that powerful men can be held accountable mm-hmm. i know sometimes it feels like that they can't but it's it's a good thing that we're advancing this yeah. Um, and the well, and so it's oh, it's good to see. Go on. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the thing too is like, I've heard a few people say like, oh, well, now people are just scared to to step and you know take a wrong step or whatever. Like, good. Okay. Like, if if this is what it took for people to just leave other people alone to you know try to to not engage in in behavior that they shouldn't do like even if it doesn't change who they are and they're still the type of person that would do bad things i'm glad that they're not going to now some of them and and the ones that are are worried because they could be held accountable too yeah exactly well also and also the the whole thing about like oh the you know men aren't going to talk to women or stuff like that i i do kind of and people that's been kind of reiterated in various forms for several years now and i do kind of want to go like how do you talk to women Mm-hmm. that you look at a, con- a a man who has gone for years sexually assaulting women, raping women, and you look at that and go like, well, now I can't talk to women anymore. It's just like, <laughs> what? There's yeah. there's a discrepancy there, and it does begin to make you get concerned. It's like, uh, you know, we were talking with, with Courtney last week um, about about the way that men relate to women on Twitter and the things that are said and everything. And and I did see someone not long after the Weinstein conviction, actually, or the Weinstein sentencing, um, who had a guy who ba- basically said something about um, women being told to smile, right, on the street, mm-hmm. or just by people that they don't know, or even by people that they do know, you know, men that they do know. And, and a guy just responded literally saying that doesn't happen. And so she was like, okay, every woman who has ever had the, had someone tell them, a man tell them to smile, 
whether on the street, you know, in your workplace, etc., retweet this. And of course, you know, it blew up. Everybody was retweeting it because I think there are very few women who have not experienced that. Who've I? I mean, I've had men on the street tell me to smile, and I'm just like, who the fuck are you? Like, mm-hmm. you don't tell me to smile. I'm just walking here. What is wrong with you? Yep. Um, and that's very minor in terms of street harassment. You know, that's not like you don't particularly feel unsafe or anything like that. But it's that constant command of your body mm-hmm. that men demand. You, why aren't you smiling? You should be smiling because it makes me uncomfortable that you're not. You know, and, and but just the fact that there was a man who was going to say that that doesn't happen, that women don't experience that. It's like, well, hopefully, you know, you've never told a woman that. I, I would hope that you haven't. But women experience it all the fucking time. Uh, someone referred to it as it's going, it's jumping over mansplaining and going straight to mantradiction. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so Just accurate. Like, this is a thing that happens. No, it doesn't. It's like, it. how the fuck would you know you're not a woman? <laughs> exactly. Just because it doesn't happen to you doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And it's like, yes, men do not tell other men to smile usually. In fact, I think that there are a lot of men who'd be really offended by another man telling them to smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so why they feel that, you know, oh, that... This, this totally doesn't happen to women or that this is something that, you know, well, of course, it's natural. It's just like, hey, baby, smile. It's like, well, fuck you. I don't want to smile. I don't well, owe you to smile. Right. Well, and going a little bit further than that, too, if a woman tells a man to smile, it makes him happy because then she's paying attention to him. It doesn't yeah, feel creepy and, and intrusive. It doesn't have that. Yeah, it doesn't have those same connotations about the sort of control over another person's body. Right. Um. That like, and there is almost an inherent threat. Just like, why aren't you smiling? How dare you not? Mm-hmm. You know, how how dare you not make my life better at some level? You know, random person on the street that I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So so yeah, Weinstein is going to prison. We are very happy about that. It is it is in in a week full of really scary things. It is a good thing that has happened. So I think that we should definitely celebrate that. In 23 years. He could have gotten away with just five. And a lot of people thought yeah. he would. And it's 23 years. He got... Um, I'm trying to think how it broke down. It was like 18 and 5, I think, was was the numbers. And they're concurrent. Or, I mean, consecutive, not concurrent. Because the judge mm-hmm. can, can have them be, you know, oh, you're carrying out both sentences at the same time. But in this case, it was like, nope consecutive sentences and then when you count in whatever is going to happen in la because i am sure he'll be convicted of something here too it's Mm -hmm. it's just amazing oh it it really does it's like this nightmare that we've all been just looking at and watching unfold for so long this nightmare that so many people have been living through is over and what i most especially hope is that now other victims not necessarily of Weinstein, but other victims of other powerful people will see, okay, someone has actually had to pay for what he did. I can speak up. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the hope, like I say, to, to show that a, a very powerful person can be held accountable for something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, does definitely encourage. You know, it's it's the same kind of catharsis that we got when uh, when Cosby was finally convicted and sentenced. Yeah. Um, and a- actually having that being like, okay, 
this, this, we have hope now, you know, this is something that we can actually do something about. And I mm -hmm. hope that there are a lot of abusive people that are scared right now. I really, really hope that they're frightened. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I hope that this is also that there are also a lot of potentially abusive people who are like, eh, maybe I'm not going to do that, not because I don't want to, uh, but because I might actually be punished for it. So, yep. yes, it is a good thing. Uh, so, so let's see, moving on, another good thing, or I think it's a good thing, other people might disagree, um, as the, with the success of The Invisible Man, uh, Universal is going ahead with what they are now referring to as their Monsterverse, <laughs> uh, which had kind of been had kind of been killed had kind of been killed with the 2017 movie The Mummy, Karen. Uh, <laughs> I stand by that movie. <laughs> uh, which just did not did not fly at least not at the box office. And I I still haven't seen it so I'm I can't comment on it, uh, but just didn't seem terribly popular with people. Did not it's get It's not news, good, but I enjoy the crap out of it. <laughs> Uh, so, but with the success of The Invisible Man, um, they are going ahead with, with doing sort of re-adaptations, I guess, of a lot of Universal's monster properties. Um, and the next one that has been announced is, uh, a new Dracula feature, which is going to be directed by, uh, Karen Kusama, who we of course know for directing Destroyer and The Invitation, um, is a fantastic horror director and a very just interesting filmmaker. Um, uh, so according, according to most of the reports, it seems that this is going to be a modern Dracula adaptation. There haven't been, uh, and by modern, I mean like contemporary as in set in whatever, 2020, 2021, uh, much in the same way that the invisible man was. One of the interesting things that I found about the invisible man, uh, having seen many of the early films, uh, and also having read H.G. Wells' novel is that it takes a lot of the concerns of those films and especially of the novel and does something different with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, and in this case it deals with domestic abuse and uh, assault and things like that. And so it would be interesting to see what Kusama does with Dracula, given that Dracula is first of all such a well-known property, is such a major iconic figure. I mean, he's in many ways the first true not the first vampire novel, but one of the most popular vampire novels, established a lot of the things that um, we know about, you know, we quote, know about vampires in the popular mindset, and is, is such an iconic film, both for uh, Bela Lugosi's performance in the 1931 Dracula, up to, you know, all, all of the various iterations of Dracula that have gone on. Uh, through the 1950s, 60s, 70s. I think there's been a Dra at least one Dracula movie for pretty much every decade. Oh, yeah. um, and so it'll be interesting to see what Kusama does with that, like how she deals with that. There have been, I mean, very recently, there was a Dracula miniseries that is not good and no one should watch uh, <laughs> that was released on Netflix. And, and that was done by, I believe, Stephen Moffat and um, uh, Mark Gaddis. But so Dracula continues to be very major in the, in the popular mindset, but at the same time, it, it's been changed a lot. And a lot of the ideas that we have about vampires now, a lot of the different iterations of Dracula are very different from the original novel. And that, in, and that includes, by the way, Francis Ford Coppola's supposed adaptation of 
the novel, which goes way off book in many different places. Uh, and is very much not Bram Stoker's Dracula, despite the title. So I'll be interested to see what Kusama does with that. I'll especially be interested to see uh, who gets cast as the the vampire um, and what she actually winds up doing with all of that. There's some really interesting themes to play with. So I'm excited about this because I love Dracula. Like, I love the book. I love the movies. Uh, I love the 1931 Dracula, which is actually, by the way, an adaptation of a stage play, not a direct adaptation of the book. Um, but what are your feelings about this, Karen? Do you have any major responses? Um, yeah, actually, so, I mean, I was not a big fan of Destroyer, but I really love The Invitation. I've liked some of Karen Kasama's other work. Um I think she's a really interesting filmmaker in much the same way that I felt about Lee Whannell, who just did an amazing job with The Invisible Man. And so my when I heard that this was happening, my initial thought was like, wow, I love the fact that Universal has not just completely scrapped the idea. They still know that doing modern versions of their classic monsters is a is a good idea and they're going forward in a different direction because, yeah, The Mummy didn't work mm-hmm. out. It's this big budget movie with a big, huge star and big names attached to it behind the scenes. And it just it didn't work out for a lot of reasons. And I think one of the biggest reasons is too much studio interference. Um, and there were a lot of just production problems, too. And in this case, they're going with smaller budgets with mm-hmm. directors that don't have a lot of huge, you know, they're not big um a-list directors yet and but they've done interesting work and so they're moving forward giving them the chance to do stuff from what i understand from uh hearing lee when i'll talk about doing the invisible man there was a lot more hands-off with universal when he was making that movie i mean they definitely did have a hand in it but Mm -hmm. but they weren't as involved in the process as they tend to be with their bigger properties and so to me, it's like, good, let these filmmakers make, you hired them for a reason, trust them to make the movie that they want to make and, and just give them a shot. And that's the thing is like, if they use, if they spend less money to make it, uh, if it turns out not to be great, then it wasn't that big of an investment. It doesn't matter. And you can move on to the next one with the next filmmaker. But I think that Karin Kasama has an amazing eye. I think a lot of the problems that I had with Destroyer are not necessarily her fault. Um, but I, th- I don't know. I'm just really excited that she's getting the opportunity to do something like this and that women are getting these opportunities more and more. So that was my initial mm-hmm. feeling on it. Yeah, it's uh, I, I think that it bodes well, like you're saying, the fact that, that uh, these films are much smaller budgeted um, and it, it smaller budgets often make for more intimate films. Oh, and yeah, really, The Invisible definitely. Man, when you look at The Invisible Man, it's it's good special effects, good, like uh, good acting, good stars, etc. But it's a very intimate film. It's very much about the building of tension without using tons of big explosions, mm-hmm. et cetera. We're not, you know, we're not completely going off book. And and I think that one of the things that we need to notice about a lot of the the stories that these monsters are originally based on are very small and intimate stories. Yeah. Dracula uh, as a novel 
is very, you know, it now it spans a large section of, of time and, um, and of location. But in terms of the actual interactions of the characters and everything, it is very much about human relationships and about, uh, and it's, a, it's about fear of the foreign other. It's about disease. It's about, um, it's about fear of women. It's about fear of sexuality. There are all kinds of things that are kind of wrapped up into it that really aren't made for big budget explosive films. They're not, they don't need to be big. Uh, they need to be smaller and more intimate. And someone like Kusama, who's so, who even in her horror, you know, one of her best horror films is Jennifer's Body. Uh, and that is a very intimate film. That is very much about the relationship between the characters. It's not just about the, um, uh, the, the horror of what's happening. Uh, it isn't about, you know, here's, here's how we're going to scare you in major ways. It's more about here's, here's how these people relate to one another and here's where the horror ultimately comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, to see how she would actually take on something like Dracula and what the difference is going to be, because like I say, this is a, this is a story that has been done almost to death. Yeah. Uh, and yet we keep on being fascinated by it and that's why we, they keep on remaking it. So how, how she's going to adapt that and what what is going to happen with it is I, I'm fascinated by it. I think that it has a lot of really, really great potential. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a it's a great story. Yes, we know it very well. Um well, depending on whether people have read the book or not <laughs> and which versions they've seen, who knows how well people really know the story. But who knows how closely she's gonna adapt it either. So yeah. yeah. I'm I'm interested to see her take. I think it's gonna be great. Yeah. So, and in relationship to that, uh, we actually had a question that kind of uh, the, the relates to The Invisible Man. This is from At Unstoppable Rant. Uh, are there any insights missing from The Invisible Man that would have been provided by a, a woman director or writer? And, you know, it was interesting. I was thinking about this as I was watching the film, because one of the things that struck me about the film was that it... it took so closely the perspective of a woman and particularly the perspective of an abuse victim. Mm -hmm. And I was, now I've only seen the film once, so it's, you know, there might be things that I am missing or that I wasn't paying attention to, et cetera. There wasn't much that I could pinpoint that I was like, oh, he got this wrong or, oh, this doesn't, you know, th this needed a female perspective. I thought it was a, it's a very feminist film in itself. And I thought that it, it focalized through the female character particularly incredibly well. Um, did you have any thoughts on this? Yes. There's there's okay. one thing about it that I wish had been fleshed out more. I think it would have would have helped a little bit. But it's a very lean movie and it's and I like the fact that it's not bloated and doesn't have a lot of extra stuff to it. But the one thing that I think could have been handled differently and probably would have been handled better with a female voice um, is the relationship between the sisters because uh. the, I mean, it starts off with Emily coming to pick up Kat, uh, Cecilia in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have any idea how long it's been since they've seen or talked to each other, but 
uh, as a couple of scenes happen, you definitely get the sense that there's been some friction between the two, but you never know what or why. And none of that necessarily matters, except for something very significant that happens between the two of them that I don't want to give away for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. But um, there's a scene where Cecilia goes to Emily's apartment and they have a very, very uncomfortable conversation that's not even really a conversation. It's like one person mad about something and the other trying to explain and not getting a word in. And I just felt like that didn't, it didn't sit right for me. And knowing a little bit more about what their relationship was like before any of this started would have probably helped a lot. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, I, I do think that the sister got a little bit of short shrift in terms of the relationship. One of the things yeah. that my my impression from the film was that part of the, the issues that they experienced were actually a direct result of um of the relationship with Adrian. Yes, that definitely. Part mm-hmm. of what he had been up to, uh, part of his project essentially, had been isolating her from all of the people that she had contact with and that the sister then her reaction was oh why are you not communicating with me and what she doesn't completely understand is that the reason why she wasn't communicating was because of this incredibly abusive and controlling man right um and that that but yeah i can definitely see that 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 if that had been fleshed out a little bit more we might have understood what had happened i kind of wanted to know a little bit more about because obviously she gets in touch with her sister somehow. Right. Enough that she's like, you need to pick me up at this place at this time. And that her sister just shows up. Yeah. And and then is like, oh, what the hell's going on? You know, I don't understand. And then like this, you know, this is the opening of the film. So it's not really a spoiler. This guy smashes the window. Mm-hmm. And tries to drag her out of the car. And of course, that's shocking and everything. But you're like, so wait a minute, did she not have any idea that this that this was happening? Is this her first realization that her sister is in this excessively abusive relationship? Exactly. Um, and that's where and, yeah. I say, like, I would have liked to have had a little bit more understanding of what their relationship was before that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, other they're... than that, I agree with you. I think that he did a very good job of showing... Uh, showing the toll that abuse takes and what it does to a woman, but also showing that it doesn't completely destroy her and Mm -hmm. that she gets to still have some of that inner strength and, um, and that she's smart. The fact that she's a smart person who had a career before any of this happened. And, and uh, there are little hints that that career actually is ultimately part of what saved her life which i again won't get into spoilers but um but yeah i i I think that that he did a very good job overall but yeah they're just little things that it's like yeah a female perspective would have been helpful yeah it deals with trauma very well that it doesn't represent her as being just completely shut down or completely completely reclusive completely you know like retreating into herself or anything like that um but at the same time, actually representing it as trauma as being complex and pe- different people having different reactions to it. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's good to see. There There isn't that demand, and, I, and I, a lot of male critics complain about it, uh, but there isn't that demand for, um, uh, for, a, for the viewer to want to protect her. There's more of a demand for the viewer to want her to succeed and yeah. to be able to to be able to stop the abuse that is happening to her. 
Um, yeah. It isn't like, ah, I must, I must sweep in and guard her from things. It's more like, I want her to succeed at guarding herself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. And of, of guarding other people, because other people are damaged because of her, and because of, not because of her, but because of her presence, because of his obsession with her. Um, there was just thinking about it, and I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do spoilers, but there was one other plot element that I actually think they handled it very well, and it could have been handled very badly um, by specifically by a male director and a male screenwriter, and uh, and it it comes it's it's one of the it's one of several plot twists that maybe we sort of saw it coming a little bit. I, I kind of saw it coming. I was like, oh, I have a feeling that this is where the plot is going to go. But that when it came, I was like, okay, this can go one of two ways. And it actually went in the direction that I I was hoping that it would. And it didn't like completely scuttle the final act of the film. So um, so yeah, props, props to Lee Winnell and to the screenwriters and to everyone for, for, you know, actually getting it right in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So let's see what else. Uh, we do not have any reviews this week because <laughs> all of the films are postponed. Uh, I mean, most of them. I, I think most of the big ones, you know, um, the next Fast and Furious, Mulan. Uh, what else has been postponed? The new oh, mutants. Some of the small ones. <laughs> the new mutants. Yes, yeah, so of course. <laughs> Which, Which, let's like, face it, is just a joke at this point. <laughs> it really is. Well, it's just crazy because three of the release dates were because of whatever. I think because of uh, there being problems with the movie. I don't think that the studio would have moved it uh, an entire year just to avoid competing with, like, Dark Phoenix. But... um. <laughs> But a couple of the, like, the most recent release date changes were not even their fault at all. It was, like, one of them, it fell victim to the acquisition when Disney bought Fox. (laughs) And then now it's because of the quarantine. And it's like, oh, man, this is just, just put it out on Hulu and be done with it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, in some ways it's funny. It's also, it. I, I, th- I think this says how serious everyone is taking this. And, like a lot of these films aren't being released because the assumption is that you know most people are not going to go out to the movie theaters right now, mm-hmm. um, if movie theaters are even open. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, a Quiet Place Part Two has been delayed. Uh, I think the uh, as of recording, I believe that Wonder Woman is still on schedule. Although I have a feeling that that's going to change also, just as people rejigger all everything. You know, hope hopefully yeah. this will be. It's not going to be over, but hopefully it will be. Um, uh, it will be mitigated at some level by the time we actually get into the summer. But it's like basically the entire uh, spring lineup, Hollywood's entire spring lineup, has essentially been scuttled right now. Yeah, uh, because of uh, because of everything that's happening. But it it is an interesting question about what effect this is ultimately going to have. You know, people have been making jokes that like that the Oscar race this year is going to be between <laughs> Birds of Prey and The Invisible Man <laughs> because it's like the last films, the last major films to to mm-hmm. get a release. The only um, studio movie that has a a release date still before March or before May is Trolls World Tour. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, so the Oscars are mm-hmm. gonna be between <laughs> Birds of Prey, Invisible Man, and Trolls World Tour. It's fine uh, by me. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. I don't even know. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it is crazy. I do I do think that there will be a certain degree of poetic justice if like Birds of Prey winds up being one of the highest grossing films of the year or something like that. Because just like, so you know what? First of all, it deserves it. Second mm-hmm. of all, fuck y'all. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Oh man. Like I just love the dudes, the whiny crying dudes that go to the movie theater because they're like, I just want to get out of the house and go see a movie and they look up at that screen and all that's playing is onward trolls, <laughs> birds of prey. <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> but Where the other thing that's playing now? is Jojo Rabbit, which I am seeing this afternoon again, because yes I am. <laughs> Washing your hands continuously. Um, yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, but actually, in, in relationship to that, uh, uh, at Ryan McDermott asked us, assume that the Oscars realize they messed up with giving Joker 11 nominations <laughs> and that the only correct course of action is to give Birds of Prey 12. Uh, which 12 categories does it get nominated in and which three does it win? Uh, so, of course, as we all know already, Birds of Prey, it, Birds of Prey and the Invisible Man are the only films that are going to be nominated for Oscars at this rate. <laughs> uh, and so, obviously, Birds of Prey wins everything. I mean, I think that maybe there'll be a bit of a fight for Best Actress between uh, between Elizabeth Moss and and Margot Robbie. So, you know, maybe, maybe Birds of Prey just gets Best Picture. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I made a list of the 12 I think it would get in all right what is your list (laughs) picture director best actress best supporting actress best supporting actor and supporting actress i was like oh man i don't know which direction they would go but i would really really hope it'd be journey of el smollett um and supporting actor would obviously be ewan mcgregor um makeup costume cinematography production design Editing and both sound categories. Although next year there will only be one sound category. So then I guess I'd have to add in some um, original score. That sounds that sounds very reasonable to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that I would agree with all of those. So. <laughs> yes. And I agree with you. It's winning more than three in that scenario. It's definitely winning costume, makeup, supporting actor, supporting actor maybe picture that's going to be a fight between you know because invisible man is great too so it really is Mm -hmm. yeah no i would totally be down for that kind of oscars oh man kathy yan versus lee winnell for best director like i just that would be great (laughs) it's gonna be like five people there it'd be Mm -hmm. great i will be uh we laugh because all things are getting very strange uh, <laughs> yep so so yeah so i mean we don't know what ultimate effect this is going to have it's obviously going to have an effect on the box office it's obviously going to have an effect on theaters um how long this lasts and and what happens this this is not something that i think is is easily predictable you can kind of look at you could look at charts and be like, okay, here's a reasonable expectation, but 
we just don't we don't know i mean this this is this is uncharted territory in a lot of ways this is one of the the most serious pandemics since i think people are saying since 1918 which is of course very different Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, of course, very different. And, um, you know, we do actually have better medical facilities now, which is nice. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a different virus. But this is, yeah, this is going to change. In some ways, this is going to change the makeup of, of, in terms of what we're talking about, the makeup of Hollywood, the makeup of the film industry, and then also just the makeup of, the, of society and the way that, um, uh, the way that we relate to each other. So it will be interesting. One of the things that does give me some hope in our future, and by that I mean like after we get through this and move on with our lives in just a couple weeks, um, and by a couple weeks, I, I mean that could be six or eight, who knows, but um, but one of the things that has really just made me feel better about what's happening is seeing people, communities coming together and mm-hmm. I mean, last night, Roxanne Gay tweeted like, hey, if you're someone that's really struggling and you don't know where your next paycheck's going to come from because of all of this, um, list your Venmo and I'm going to pick 10 people and send them 100 bucks. And so a bunch of people were adding theirs and people were telling their stories and then other people were like, hey, I got you, you know, and like we're just mm-hmm. pitching in money. And it was just so awesome to see that. And then like you've got... um production companies are shutting things down, but they're still promising to pay all their workers. Um, you've got businesses that are doing the same thing. Of course, not mm-hmm. everybody's doing this and it sucks. Anybody who's not is an asshole. And like the thing that was going around yesterday with Amazon telling employees they could donate vacation time to coworkers <laughs> that don't have sick time. And it's like, you're owned by fucking Jeff Bezos. <laughs> he has more money than anybody on the planet and by and more than most people combined so Mm -hmm. he can just like cover that cost you know like whatever but so there are people that are not fully on board but seeing how many people are and how many people are reaching out to take care of one another it Mm -hmm. makes me feel a little bit better about humanity in the face of seeing all these stories about people hoarding toilet paper you know Yeah, I, I think that one of the reasons why we're seeing those stories is because it's surprising at a certain level. And, it, and it's it's flashy also. Um, the, the smaller things are not as noticeable uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I think that most billionaires are probably sociopaths also. So I, I hardly mm-hmm. expect them to start giving away their money to the people that need it. But the fact that there are people that are saying like, you know, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to help you out. There are, you know, local governments that are saying like, if you need help at this time, particularly small business owners, freelancers, things like that, people that are in vulnerable sections of society that are like, you know, this, I don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, You know, obviously we've seen the shutdown of pretty much all of the film festivals, uh, you know, some of which freelancers depend upon film critics depend upon to continue to be able to pay the bills um Mm. artists depend upon to get their films seen all of that and so there has been this sort of sense of like you see a lot of people saying like look if you have a screening link i will still see your i will still watch and review your film you know get in touch with these different publications to continue to kind of keep the conversation going and to give opportunities, particularly to the smaller films that just aren't going to get coverage as a result. And Um, actually yesterday, sorry to interrupt you. um, No, go on. Yesterday South by actually sent out 
um, a link for any press that were credentialed for the festival. I mean, I was supposed to be on a plane right now. And um, any press that uh, was credentialed for the festival, they sent us a link to their on- online screening room. To which they had that last year, but it was much less. You know, um, mm-hmm. there was there were not nearly as many offerings. And this year, it's like, oh, good, we can actually see a lot of the stuff that we would have been watching anyway. So it's basically turning into a virtual film festival. Well, that's and that's good, and it, and it's um it's difficult for the people on the ground because obviously Austin depends on South by Southwest. There are various. Yeah, groups, you know, uh, restaurants and bars and workers, et cetera, who all depend upon the income that is brought in by South by Southwest. Even just the Lyft drivers, my gosh. I mean, they come from all over to do that festival. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But it's it's good to see, but like you're saying, it's good to see that different communities are coming together and saying, I want to help however I can, you know, or I'm in trouble, I need help. Yeah. And people actually stepping up and and trying to do something about it and trying to support each other. Uh, yeah, it, it does. It says a lot of good things about about individual humanity, uh, even at a point when our federal government in particular is completely fucking dropping the ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. So well, let's talk about some movies to watch. A lot of us are going to be stuck <laughs> inside you know, we could still go out for walks and shit like that, but we're not going to be hanging out at movie theaters for a while. Um, so what are some films? To, there there are, happily, many streaming services. And in <laughs> fact, all of the people who've been bitching about streaming are suddenly like, oh, streaming might be a good thing right now. <laughs> um, Yesterday I so- put out a poll and said, what are the, which streaming service do you think is going to get the biggest boost in subscribers because of this and i included netflix disney plus apple tv plus and amazon prime and it was really interesting the conversation because a lot like the ultimate winner was netflix but a lot of people were like and i was in this group i think with all those schools being closed disney plus is about to go through the roof yeah yeah and also aren't they releasing they're releasing like frozen 2 early Frozen 2 is coming out tomorrow yeah we're recording this on saturday yeah and they're it's it was supposed to be out three months from now and they're just like you know what we'll just put it out well that's good i Mm -hmm. I, it's always nice to see those little things happening um but yeah so streaming services are definitely going to be seeing a bump uh (laughs) within the next few weeks and i mean i i have i have most of them i do not have disney plus uh, but do you have any suggestions, Karen, for movies that can be streamed right now that people who may be going a little bit crazy already could, can sit down and put on their lists? Um, yeah, I was actually, it was funny because last night I was on Netflix and I was like, I heard Outbreak is on here, so I'm going to look. So I, stir- <laughs> I searched for Outbreak, which is a movie that I really enjoyed back in the 90s. And, um, and it's really funny how uh how so many little moments in that movie are like oh yeah we're totally doing that right now like someone coughs near us and we all just like take a step back you know um but uh so i was searching for that and when i did a a very interesting list popped up that included pandemic containment (laughs) 93 days carriers how it ends cargo extinction and then it gets into movies like um 
Snowpiercer, Train to Busan, Cloverfield, mm. stuff like that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so funny. And so I started thinking about like, what are some of the movies that I would want to add? Like if I'm going to watch, I mean, I feel like quarantine movies are, yeah, movies that I'm going to watch when other people are stuck and they can't go outside. Like I want that commisery. So then I started thinking of movies like 28 Days Later and um, uh, now I'm blinking. Um, seeking a friend for the end of the world. Um, Little Monsters is a good one. <laughs> Contagion. So, yeah, those are those are a few of mine. <laughs> well, actually, my roommate actually watched Train to Busan yesterday, and he he was uh, he was having a great time with it. And I was like, this is not what I watch for comfort <laughs> when we're trapped inside. But I don't need okay. comfort. I need people that feel the same way I do. <laughs> well, I understand that. You know, it's like different people have different reactions to it. Amazingly enough, one of one of the things that I began doing, Hulu has uh, four seasons of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So I was like, you know what? I have not watched many of those episodes. I'm going to sit down and we'll start watching Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And they're very fun. They have some fantastic Hollywood stars. I watched one with Vincent Price yesterday. Um, many of them are actually directed by Hitchcock. And they're good, you know, like little half-hour uh, stories. But there, mm. there are numerous other things. I have somewhat sarcastically been encouraging, uh, particularly film critics, to actually get Criterion Channel. <laughs> And learn some fucking film history. Since everyone is bitching about there not being any new films, well, guess what? There are a lot of old films you can watch. (laughs) And you can learn some things. So, and there, and in all seriousness, there actually are. Right now, there are a whole bunch of excellent German expressionist films that have just come on Criterion. So, Fritz Lang's Destiny, um, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, uh, Testament of Dr. Mabusa, M. There are obviously, for me, some of my favorite Hitchcock films are still on. There are 39 Steps, Young and Innocent. Um, the, uh, right now, one of the stars, uh, they, Max von Sydow recently passed away. So one of the stars that they've been featuring is uh, is him and like tons of Ingmar Bergman films. If you really want to feel isolated and depressed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ber- Bergman, I'm not so, you know, it depends upon what your your attitude is uh, to, to being quarantined or to being social distancing as we are all doing right now. <laughs> um, Bergman, you know, might make you feel better. It's just like, ah, yes, existential angst for an hour and a half. Or it might make you feel a lot worse. So, you know, your mileage will vary. Uh, <laughs> but there are also, like, some lighter things. I recently watched uh, a movie that's about baseball season, which has, of course, been postponed for a little while, uh, called Kill the Umpire, which is a um, fairly short film from the 1950s about a uh, former baseball player who winds up having to take a job as an umpire after he has, of course, spent the first 20 minutes of the film talking about how umpires are the worst part of the game and they should all be killed. So he ha- he then has to become an umpire. And it's actually very entertaining. It's very funny. It's It was uh, written and directed by uh, one of the major forces behind Looney Tunes back in the 1940s. And so this was one of the one of his first feature films. Uh, it's very good and it's very funny and sort of it's it's a silly like escapist story uh, for those of us who enjoy baseball and who are kind of sad that that 
baseball season might have to be limited this year. <clears throat> so there are lots of really, really good things to watch and to stream, and um, everything from very nice, warm, and fuzzy things to Train to Busan and <laughs> Contagion. <laughs> it's a good time to watch all three seasons of The Leftovers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, this stuff just that gives me anxiety. That's all I have I know. to say. Like <laughs> some people it doesn't, obviously. I'm just like, this is making me anxious. Okay, thank you. Well, at least in the leftovers it wasn't disease. People just vanished, so there's that. But yeah. True. True. But I enjoy Great. happy movies too, and yeah, my my viewing list is gonna be really interesting this week. Yeah, I think that like a lot of us are, are realizing, because obviously most of us do have to go to work uh, in one way or another, uh, even if we're working from home. But I think that a lot of us are realizing that there's there's an awful lot of downtime that we have filled up with uh, going out and going to restaurants and seeing friends and stuff like that, that we're just not going to be able to do right now. Uh, and so definitely streaming is definitely going to fill a void in a lot of ways. So it, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting the way that people are approaching this. Yep, it is. It's fun. Uh, so in in sort of reference to this, uh, we did have a question from at Noah Saturn. What are your favorite screwball comedies? Uh, and this one, I'm going to start because this one actually came up like a day or so ago when Joyce Carol Oates, of all people, decided that to go on a rant about His Girl Friday and to talk about what a terrible movie it is and how Cary Grant gives an uneven performance and, like, it's badly directed and badly written and everything. And, of course, Car- Joyce Carol Oates is now canceled. I'm sorry. It's just... <laughs> that's the wrong... That's the law. Uh, yeah, that's actually one of my favorite screwball comedies. <laughs> uh, it is not boring. It is, I believe, on Criterion Channel. Uh, it's a very, it's very, very funny. It is, I think that it still holds the record for having the most lines of dialogue per minute of any film. It's only I a 90 minute that, film. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, you, you've never heard people talk quite so quickly or quite so intelligently. To Not even on it Gilmore is, Girls. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It really is an absolute tour de force. Roz Russell and Cary Grant. So that's one of my favorite screwball comedies. Actually, most of my favorite screwball comedies are, are um, Cary Grant movies. I love Bringing a Baby. I love The Awful Truth. Uh, it Happened One Night, which is, which is um, mm-hmm. roundly considered to be one of the first screwball comedies. Uh, Trouble in Paradise, which is Herbert Marshall and that, and uh, directed by Ernst Lubitsch. That's a very early screwball that um, uh, actually, because it's pre-code, actually has a lot of uh, a lot of sexual innuendo and uh, even references to people sleeping together. Like <gasps> the camera fades out and then fades back in, and ooh, my God! Could, could you just for people that are listening that may not know what? the differences in that subgenre could you just kind of define it really quickly uh yes (laughs) (laughs) like it's basically um well because i'm trying i'm struggling to find a good definition for it like i know what it is but 
it's one of those things that is difficult to actually define. Um, usually, so that, that's why it's easier to actually just use examples than it is to mm -hmm. say, okay, this is a screwball comedy and this isn't. It's usually a romance, um, usually between, uh, usually maybe between the 1930s, 1940s, um, and very often it's referred to, a number of critics refer to it as the comedy of remarriage. So it's very often about people that, uh, two characters that were once married or that are in a relationship or have been in a relationship that are still really in love with each other, but for whatever reason have split up or sometimes split up partway through the film. And so it's about them rediscovering that romance with each other. And usually this is through very complicated, silly plot machinations. So bringing a baby involves uh, a relationship between a paleontologist and a slightly crazy heiress. And they're brought together <laughs> by a pet leopard, right? So that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, and it ends in like a romp across the countryside. They wind up in jail. Like there's all sorts of crazy things happen to them. Hence the screwball element of the screwball comedy. Um, very often it does involve these kind of class distinctions where it's usually a woman from the upper class and a man from the quote lower classes, which often means like he's a reporter or, um, or a journalist or a professor, something like that. But very, very, intelligent right there's a lot of use of intelligent dialogue um quick fire dialogue so people going back and forth very very quickly making a lot of quips and jokes um and then sort of ridiculous secondary characters that are very often caricatures of the upper classes the lower classes people that they meet on people that the the two lead characters meet on their journeys um, there's very often involved some kind of a trip. That's why it happened one night, which is basically just a cross-country story, a cross-country journey with two people. Um, and it's all the people that they meet in the process of them getting to know each other better and falling in love. So that's that's as, I guess that's as concise as I can make it. It's very difficult to yeah. define because it's one of those, well, I know it when I see it. Right, yeah. I just, I know some people listening are like, isn't that just slapstick? No, it's not. It's very different. I think that one of the biggest elements is that it is this romance. Um, yeah. That, that is usually kind of buoyed up by dialogue. So that kind of joking back and forth, insulting each other. Um, and again, if you watch any of these films, if you watch, say, His Girl Friday, that's a movie about two reporters um, who were married, she's going to get remarried, and it's basically about him trying to stop her from getting remarried in increasingly ridiculous ways. <laughs> uh, but a lot of it really is about their sparring, basically, in dialogue, back and forth and back and forth, and that's sort of where the, the romance and the, the charge comes from. Mm -hmm. So did you have any screwball comedies that you particularly like? Um, well, I agree with you, like, so many of the ones that Cary Grant did. I mean, I love Cary Grant. I will, you know, all of his movies are great. But yeah, um, uh, what's the one? I don't think you mentioned it. Um, my brain is just, like, I've got 500,000 movies in my head right now. <laughs> um, what? oh, I was a male war bride. He's oh, yeah. One, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, and then also so many by Billy Wilder. I mean, yeah, some like it hot. It's the other one. Oh, the seven year itch, I think. Yeah. So yeah, some of those, I love them. And I think yeah, Phil 
Philadelphia yeah, Story. Oh, yeah. Philadelphia Story. That was one I saw it for the first time just a year or two ago with my mom because it was one of those Fathom Events um, mm-hmm. screenings. And I was like, you know, I think this movie is great, but it really means something very different in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there some of these films definitely do have questionable elements. Yes, yes. But Things, if you're able to contextualize them, they're quite enjoyable. Yeah, they're they're definitely, I mean, as, as is always with certain older films, there's sometimes things that you, in order to enjoy them, that you have to kind of cordon off just a little bit, and not necessarily ignore or say that they, they're not a part of it, but um, you have to be kind of like, ah, we're just going to move move past that a little bit and, <laughs> and not pay too much attention to it. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, I, I've heard some people say that about the Philadelphia story. I saw the Philadelphia story when I was young enough that I didn't really realize some of the more problematic elements of it. <laughs> it just didn't, like, you know it just didn't click with me. And so mm-hmm. I, I love it. Like, and I absolutely adore that movie. There are lines in that film that I use all the time. Like I I'm going crazy. I'm standing here on my own two hands and going crazy. <laughs> Which I absolutely adore. Catherine Hepburn's expression when she has a hangover and she like walks out the door <laughs> and just like that, the initial shot of her reacting to the sunlight is just, I just like, I know that feeling. That feeling. I mean, I've I never been hung over, but that's just me on like a Tuesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> what's what's the other one? Thank you so much, Mike. I love men, the little beers. <laughs> yes. Just like yeah, there's and that's one of the things I do like about screwball comedy is that there are still lines and stuff like that that are gonna stick with you and that you're gonna be like yeah, this it's just clever. Like sometimes, it's just like this is just funny because it's funny. Um, yeah, it's fun to see. To one of the things I love about watching classic films is um, it's not about necessarily the performances because I mean acting is just different now than it was forty, fifty years ago. But I really love the dialogue, and mm-hmm. I think that that's often one of my favorite parts of movies especially from the 30s and 40s just this really rich fun snappy really witty um conversations that characters have and it's yeah it's just fun well and and interestingly enough and i'm not going to go too much into film history right now but one of the reasons for that is is actually a result of censorship and a result of the production code because Mm -hmm there came a point obviously in Hollywood where they could not show. And you know, this, this isn't to say that in, in pre-code Hollywood that there was just like sex and violence everywhere. There wasn't, but it was much more explicit than what you see in a lot of 1930s and 40s films. Um, But so there came a certain point where they couldn't show people going to bed together. They couldn't, they couldn't even really indicate that too heavily uh, in order to get it past the censors. And so one of the places that a lot of things kind of deferred all of the sexual tension and the innuendo and things like that was into dialogue. So the way that these romances very often play out is the way that people talk to each other. That's how they fall in love with each other. That's how they relate to one another. That's the, you know, that's kind of the sexuality of everything. And, and that's really fascinating to watch from a from a contemporary perspective because we don't have that at the same level in a lot of films because we're allowed to show everything um Mm. 
you're allowed to have characters explicitly talking about sex, whereas, you know, in a Philadelphia story, you're not going to have Cary Grant and, and Catherine Hepburn, you know, discussing their sex lives. You're not going to have them going to bed together, but there are like these elements that you could be like, okay, we're going to show you how they relate to one another. And that is what is going to make it sexual. Um, you can show, you know, Clark Gable taking his shirt off, even though you can't really show him going to bed with Claudette Colbert. Uh, and there's something very sexy about that too. And so it's, it's very interesting the way that those films kind of navigate that. And a lot of the, the best, most interesting dialogue actually comes out of this movement towards censorship. Um, which isn't to say that censorship is great, but it, it is interesting. Exactly. So I, I wanted to mention one more thing just because I was really excited last week before, before the, the New York City <laughs> shut down. Uh, I actually did get to go see one of my favorite films, my, my personally, personal favorite Hitchcock film, uh, The Lady Vanishes, in 35mm at Film Forum. Film Forum is still open, uh, although they are enforcing the 50% capacity right now. And so they are show- they're still showing films, but they've been showing um, a film series called The Women Behind Hitchcock which is specifically in reference to Alma Reville, who was uh, Hitchcock's wife and frequent collaborator. She was the co-writer and in some places the assistant director on a number of his films. Um, And Joan Harrison, who's Hitchcock's assistant and who also eventually uh, became a producer in her own right. She was one of the main producers of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. She produced a number of um, comedies and thrillers in the 1930s and 40s in Hollywood. Uh, and so there's, they're showing a lot of very interesting films. The Lady Vanishes is, speaking of screwball comedy, um, the first 20 minutes of The Lady Vanishes is actually a screwball comedy. It's basically a group of people who have been trapped in a hotel uh, when their train is unable to leave because of an avalanche. And so there's all of this very witty repartee, and you've got Michael Redgrave and um, Margaret Lockwood, who are sort of the, the lovers that are eventually going to come together. And they spend the first 10 minutes of their meeting fighting with each other because she gets him thrown out of his hotel room, and then he threatens to move into hers. Um, there are hilarious, like, these hilarious secondary characters or two... Uh, they're they're usually referred to as cricket mad schoolboys who are actually grown up schoolboys who are just desperate to get back to England so that they uh, they can see the latest cricket match, um, and then all of this kind of culminates in them everybody finally getting to leave on the train and uh, a little old lady vanishing, and the rest of the film is about the Margaret Lockwood character and. Michael Redgrave searching for her and trying to figure out what happened to her as everyone on the train begins essentially saying that she never existed. So it's a really interesting film and is a really well-made film. It's very funny. It's uh, probably Hitchcock's last great British film. Uh, his The last film that he made before he left England was Jamaica Inn, which is very just a very bizarre work. Uh, which I quite enjoy, but a lot of people don't. But um, but The Lady Vanishes really is one of his best films. It's very exciting. It's very funny. It's very charming. And it, it, it has many of the wonderful Hitchcock elements that we kind of come to expect. Um, and, and yeah, I would just encourage everybody who gets a chance to see it, if you can get to Film Forum to, to see it when they show it again, awesome. If not, it is also streaming on the Criterion channel. 
<laughs> so there is no excuse. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about it for a few minutes because I love that movie. I wrote three papers on it in grad school. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never seen it. Uh-huh. Um, but I did just add it to my queue because it's also streaming on Amazon Prime. See, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yep. So I will watch it today, Lauren. One today. one thing one thing that I will caution people and you about I I have not seen the copy that is on Amazon Prime. One of the reasons why I suggested the Criterion Channel is because it's the refurbished copy. Uh, Many, many of Hitchcock's films are available in public domain prints, which is great if that's the only way that you can watch them. But a lot of the time, the the audio and the visuals are just not great. And so if you... Well, that'll be interesting. Yeah, this one is dated 2019. So hopefully that means it is the updated version. It should be fine. Yeah. You'll be able to tell fairly quickly. I mean, the the version okay. that's on the that's on Criterion is is very crisp, and you can you know understand everything and stuff like that. The first time I saw The Lady Vanishes was in a, a public domain print, and okay. it's still watchable. It's not like that that they're you know the it's not like that you can't understand the dialogue or anything like that. It's just not as good. Yeah. Um. And there and there probably will be lines of dialogue that you'll miss as a result. So again, it's a British film. There are a lot of different accents at play <laughs> yes true um but it, it is a wonderful film and uh, uh i i highly recommend it to to everybody so yes awesome well i'm excited so is there anything else that you want to talk about karen have you been watching anything interesting no <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was really weird. Thursday was the day that everything's just started shutting down. Like basically the whole industry started, started closing down. And I just kept getting email after email of like screenings that when South by got canceled, I started setting up like, okay, well I can go to this and that event that are happening in LA. And it was just like one by one, everything started getting picked off and my entire calendar for next week, everything got canceled everything and i was just like oh my gosh and so the last movie that i have seen at a screening before the shutdown was my spy which i am not allowed to talk about because it's under embargo until april (laughs) (laughs) so nope nothing to talk about (laughs) i'm just gonna be streaming a whole lot and yes i will be restarting my criterion subscription this month because what else do I have to do at this point? I think it's a good time to do it. You know, yeah. if you're going to start paying for Criterion, you know, you've got time to watch it. I've uh, been, well, I haven't been putting it off because I didn't think it's important. It's just that it's like yeah. I I had to prioritize what I can do. Like there are certain shows or, or movies on certain streaming channels that I have to be able to keep up with for my work at award circuit. Mm-hmm. So it was like I was prioritizing those. And it was just, you know, I just don't have time for to justify subscribing to something like Criterion. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, well, my school's probably getting completely shut down, which means I'll be out of work for who knows how long. What else do I literally what else do I have to do with my uh-huh. time? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a good time to catch up on a lot of things that I haven't gotten to watch. It certainly is. Well, so I think that that is going to close us out for this this episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us. Of course, we 
We don't know what we have on tap for this week because we don't know what's going to happen in the next week. <laughs> nope. I'm going so, to Jojo Rabbit today and that's it. <laughs> so everybody stay in, stay safe. Remember to walk around outside a little bit if you can. Uh, check on check on your elderly relatives, etc. Be certain yeah. that everybody's taking care of themselves. Of course, you could continue to listen to our podcast. We will continue to have episodes. Uh, we always want to thank our wonderful patrons, who include Adriana, Cricket Table Podcast, Michael, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. And if you would like to contribute to our Patreon, that would be really, really nice. You know, we're do we're doing okay, but we would love to have some more contributors. And we're gonna and we actually are gonna be coming up with some uh, new bonus episodes within the next weeks and months because we don't have anything else to do right now. Um, <laughs> so we're actually gonna get a jump on our those boredom things. is your benefit. <laughs> We're actually going to get a jump on those things. So please, if you want to contribute to our Patreon, we would really appreciate it. That's patreon.com slash citizen dame. You can always reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at, at citizen dame pod. We are still on Facebook, facebook.com slash citizen dame. If you want to write us an email, um, if you're not on any of the social medias, but you want to, to get in touch with us, ask us questions, uh, suggest films, things like that. Our email is citizen dame pod at gmail.com. We do have our website, and we're going to continue to be posting reviews and editorials and things like that. Uh, right now, Karen has her Invisible Man review. I have a couple of editorials about um, Birds of Prey, a few Blu-ray reviews, uh, and that is citizendaypod.com. You can go to our Zazzle store and get some fun stuff, since you know, you're not going to be going out shopping. Uh, that's Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame. And if you want to kick us a few dollars, we do have a Ko-Fi. That's Ko-Fi.com slash Citizen Dame. And so, oh, yes, uh, Karen, where can people get reach out to you in this boring, boring time? <laughs> please, please talk to me on Twitter <laughs> at Karen M. Peterson. And, you know, I think I'm probably going to do some Insta stories. So people can just watch the the slow descent into madness because I live alone, people. <laughs> I live by myself. It's just me and my bunny. And yeah, it's going to get real sad. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, talk to us. Uh, I am I am at LH Business. Um, and that's going to close us out for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy. Bye. You were about to tell me of your theory. Oh, my theory. Well, my theory, my dear Watson, is that we are in very deep waters indeed. Um, oh, thank you very much. Let us marshal our facts over a pipeful of big shag. In the first place, a little old lady disappears. Everyone that saw her promptly insists that she was never there at all. Right? Right. We know that she was. Therefore, they did see her. Therefore, they are deliberately lying. Why? Well, no, I'm only Watson. I don't bury yourself in the butt. I'll tell you why. Because they don't face an inquiry, because Miss Troy is probably still somewhere on this train. I told you that hours ago.